0: Amen. Good morning, church. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 17. John 17. You'll need to have your Bible open to see the words that God has given to us, and I pray that you will hear them in faith. It's been about three-ish months or so since we have Uh, been together in the book of John, and so I'm excited to return this morning uh, and take this book back up together. The Gospel of John is rapidly approaching its climax. It's the climax of the book, and it's the climax of the life of Christ, and it is certainly the climax of all of human history. Everything in the life of Jesus has been leading up to this moment, to this And as the words of the Lord here say, the hour has now come. In the last four chapters, since John chapter 13, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for the events that are about to take place. He's been preparing his disciples for the life of the cross, life after the cross. You must understand, the cross is looming large in this text before us this morning. Tonight, just hours after this prayer, in the life of Christ, he will be betrayed. Jesus will be arrested. And then tomorrow, Jesus will be crucified. There the Son of God will bear the wrath of God for all of the sins of humanity. And so we can imagine how the weight of the cross is pressing down on Christ in this prayer like a dark shadow on a cold day the cross is casting a dark shadow upon the heart of Christ Christ is certainly feeling the weight and the emotional agony of what will take place and so it is instructive for us to notice in a time like that what does our Lord do he prays. Incredibly, the Son prays to the Father. As you may know, John 17 is a prayer, and it, is, it gives us a remarkable glimpse into what takes place when God the Son pours out his heart to God the Father. We get to listen in, and what we hear is stunning. It is beautiful, and it is deep. On the eve of the most climactic day in history, a day where Jesus will suffer in ways that cause him to cry. We hear the prayer of our Lord. And it is a prayer that is very consumed, where every sentence is wrapped up in the glory of God. That is his concern. I think Martin Luther was right. When he said of this prayer, he said, This is truly beyond measure a warm and hearty prayer. Jesus opens the depths of his heart, both in reference to us and to his Father, and pours them all out. It is so deep, so rich, so wide, no one can fathom it. We may not be able to fully fathom the depths of of listening to the Son speak to the Father. But we certainly can swim in it, and we need to. We need to saturate our hearts. Each one of us needs to saturate our hearts in this God-centered prayer until our hard, dull hearts become soft and wrinkly, ready to be changed and molded. I believe that if we soak our hearts in this prayer, God will change us. And it has been my prayer that he will answer even the prayer of Christ in our midst this morning. So let's read just the first five verses of this chapter together. Pastor Mark will uh, continue in two more portions of John 17, but let's read these five verses together. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's pray together this morning. God, our Father, we have just heard that you delight to show your strength and weakness. And we know you will have opportunity to do that this morning. So I pray that as your word goes forth this morning, you would prepare and soften our hearts to hear it. I pray that you would answer the prayer of Jesus. Prayed thousands of years ago and we were reminded he is interceding even still that this would be true and that we would see the glory of Christ by faith this morning. We ask, we pray, we plead, we trust. It's in Christ's name we, we come. Amen. Now it is quite clear, if you were able to focus your attention on these verses, if you've read John 17 before, it is quite clear that this prayer is remarkably rich and deep. And I think that if we're going to try to understand this text, we need to understand the notion of glory. Glory. It is front and center in this text. If you were to look and and carefully pay attention, we could identify that Jesus has one primary request, one petition. The thing that he's praying for is what? What? that Jesus, that the Father would glorify the Son. That's what Jesus is praying. Father, glorify the Son. In these five verses, Jesus speaks about glorifying, which I'll remind you is a verb, an action, and glory, which is a noun, a thing, five times. Five verses, five times. Glorifying, 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 glorifying glory. Clearly, this is the central concern of Jesus in this prayer. That alone is remarkably instructive for us. It's the central concern of Christ, and so it will be our central concern this morning in this message. So let me, let me be clear. This, this prayer, this passage, is about this. Knowing, enjoying, and glorifying God. That's what Jesus is praying about. Knowing, enjoying, glorifying. In glorifying God. Just hours before his death, that is what Jesus is primarily concerned about. The glory of God. To such that he got away, he spent time pleading privately, God, glorify yourself. That is his need. That is his desire. That is his concern. And that's been the concern of his whole life. That's been his concern and his joy from eternity past. The glory of God. Now, in my view, I think the, the word glory or this notion of glory can be well-known but very easily misunderstood. It's one of those words we kind of go past real quickly. We sing about it a lot. We say it frequently. But I think intrinsically, we as humans understand the notion of glory. Our lives are in many ways built upon the way we react and see and take in Glory, it shapes our lives. We all know what it is like to see something incredible and to enjoy it. We all know what it's like to see something beautiful and want it. We all know what it's like to engage with something interesting and, and be left in awe. Whether it is a product on a commercial, a skill you see on Instagram, or the shape of a body, we all know what it is like to see and be in awe of beauty. God has created a glorious world, and his glorious world is full of glorious things. And so when we see them, we have an opportunity to respond with a sense of awe, and we glorify those things. Now, when we're, th- when we're speaking of glory, I think a helpful word to keep in mind. Like, what, what is glory? Glory is, when we're speaking of glory, we're speaking of someone or something's goodness. Someone or something's goodness or excellence. This week, my son and I marveled at the glory of hot lava destroying a car. That was cool, wasn't it, buddy? Yeah? Or, or I, I marveled at the, I delighted in the glory of my wife's curry soup. Or we know what it's like to, uh, I, I was in awe of, on Instagram of some guy who's so much stronger than me, and he's like 15 years younger than me. Right? We know what it's like to see amazing things and be left in awe, amazed. And that should make sense to us. God has created us to be worshipers, made in his image. And so naturally, we are attracted to glory. Now, now, with that in mind, let's get the words of Christ back in our, in our mind. In verse 1, and then again in verse 5, we see Jesus stating his request. Father, in verse 5, he says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay, you saw it. Two words there, glory and glory and glorify. So let's give some definitions. When we're speaking of glory, let's say this. Glory, or the glory of God, is the goodness of God displayed. The goodness of God displayed. And then glorify is the goodness of God enjoyed. The goodness of God displayed and the goodness of God enjoyed. In one case, God's glory, His goodness is radiating in another case, when we glorify, we are responding and enjoying that goodness. It's an important distinction to make. The glory or the goodness of God, it, it is on display in the world. I saw a pink uh, the mountains were pink in the evening and bl- or pink in the morning and blue in the evening. How does he do that? Why does he do that? The glory of God is on display. In the world, but that does not mean that people glorify God, does it? It doesn't mean that they enjoy God or even acknowledge his goodness. In 1946, after victory in World War II, a parade took place in New York City. We don't do many military parades anymore anymore. But in, on that day, 13,000 paratroopers, along with hundreds of Sherman tanks and armored cars and howitzers and, 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 and uh, armored cars paraded through the streets of New York City. And that parade was a display of the glory of the U.S. military, right? The goodness, the greatness, the grandness of the U.S. military. And so millions of New Yorkers turned out in the streets and they they showered them with applause and flowers and confetti and the ticker tape parade. They saw the glory and they enjoyed it. But imagine, as there very well may have been, a German spy being present on that same day. Watching, perhaps from his window, this greatness of the U.S. military. He would see the glory, but would he enjoy it? No. The same glory is on display, but there are different responses. Some delight in it and others may despise it. These are the two elements that are in play in this text. Glory displayed and glory enjoyed. Seeing God's glory and liking it. Taking pleasure in it. Friends, as we listen to this tender prayer of Christ, on this fateful hour, we should ask the question, what is it that we see? What is happening? What is the Son doing? when he, The night before his crucifixion, at the pinnacle of all of human history, as the Son pours out what is in the depths of his heart, as he pours it out to the Father, what does Jesus want? What is Jesus praying for? Jesus is praying that you and I would see and love the glory of God. He's praying that you and I would see and enjoy the goodness of God. That's what God wants us to see in this prayer. and That's why this is recorded for us to see this and to know this about our Savior. Jesus is concerned with the glory of God and so that's what he prays about. Even in the face of suffering. So the first portion of this prayer can be organized around let's let's say three three concerns. The glory of God shared, the glory of God displayed and the glory of God enjoyed. Shared, displayed and enjoyed. Let's think about this shared glory shared first. <laughs> it's deep. As we read here about the petition of Jesus, right? What is, what is Jesus praying? He's saying, glorify the Son. Now, I think we could easily get confused. Of course, Jesus is the Son, so he's praying, Father, glorify me. He's directly praying for his own glory. Now, we can maybe get off track in a couple of ways here. On the one hand, we might say, and some have said this, all oh, Jesus is a narcissist. Jesus is being selfish he's consumed with himself right he's pride proud and we we all are put off by pride and, and know that pride is bad it's not what Jesus is doing here in that way is it or perhaps we could get off track by by wrongly imitating Jesus here right WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus prayed for his own glory. So, therefore, Father glorify Nathan. All right, let everyone see how great Nathan is. Let everybody enjoy Nathan. Now, I don't know if I'll ever admit that I've prayed it, but I often think like that, right? It strokes our flesh. What's wrong with that application, though? Well, I'm not God. <laughs> Jesus is. Jesus is God, and I am not. You are not. So it is right for Jesus to seek his own glory because he alone is truly glorious. Because he's God. If I seek my glory, I'm committing idolatry. But if Jesus seeks his own glory, he's glorifying God. If I seek my glory, I'm breaking the first commandment. If Jesus seeks his own glory, he's keeping the first commandment. Do you see? But it brings us to another question. What is the glory he has in view here? What is he talking about? Like, What is this greatness? In, like, How does he want to be? Like, What is he really wanting to happen? What is in view here? Well, that's why we must keep in mind that this is taking place in the shadow of the cross. The glory that Jesus is speaking of is the strange glory of the cross. Where our Lord will be glorified. He will quite literally be lifted up for all to see. But what people see there is different depending on your eyes. There on the cross, Jesus will display the glory or the goodness of God. More on that in a moment. Because look at what else Jesus says here. He says, glorify your son and then gives a reason that the Son may glorify you. Do you see, do you see that in your, in your Bibles? Jesus is praying, glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. So, so he's praying, give me glory and I'll give you glory, right? So that. Friends, Jesus' desire for glory for himself was actually a means for him to give glory to the Father. Now, we could spend a delightfully long time thinking about this, Uh, and it's worth consideration, but for now, let's just, let's recognize that Jesus, the one sinless human who perfectly obeyed the first commandment and that he loved God with all his heart. He loved the glory of God fully. He was consumed and passionate about the glory of God. I mean, he had seen it right? He had been, he was witness. He had shared in it. He knew what it is like. He had enjoyed it, and so what? He wanted others to see it. He wanted others to enjoy it. Verse five takes this even further, where again Jesus prays that God would glorify him, but then he qualifies it here. He says, look at verse five, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So this seems like a little bit different idea of glory, right? Not just the glory of the cross, but he's speaking about a glory that he has always had, a glory that he set aside to become a baby in a manger and to be hung naked on a cross because of my pride. Glory he had set aside, glory that he had veiled in the incarnation. And it's glory that is Shared. Did you see that? What's more, Jesus says that I want to be back with you. He speaks about the presence of God, being in the presence of God. And so let's just say we have to recognize this morning that this tells us that there is a shared glory, a mutual glorification between the Father and the Son. The Son delights to glorify the Father. Why? Because he's infinitely beautiful but what's the father like to do well the father likes to glorify the son because he is the radiance of the glory of God the father glorifies the son the son glorifies the father do you do you you remember the words of Jesus or the words of the father at the baptism of Jesus this is my son with him I am what well pleased that's glorifying language right he enjoys him I wish I could say more about this, but let's just say the Father loves to glorify the Son, and the Son loves to glorify the Father. Friends, there is within the Trinity an infinitely joyful and happy love for God. Our God is happy, right? He's happy in and of himself, and that love, that joy, that glory flows back and forth mysteriously between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And if you think about what it means to glorify something, we love to glorify that which we love. Right? You talk about your sports team. You talk about your new vacuum cleaner. Right? You talk about what is exciting to you and, and you want to give it to the people that you love. You want others to share. That's, what, that's the idea behind this. And that's exactly what the Father and the Son were up to. And we can see it in this prayer. Think about how this fits together. Jesus came to earth to invite sinners into an infinitely happy, interloving fellowship of God. That's what he came to do, to invite you into this relationship to enjoy the goodness and the beauty of God. And so, yes, he's praying for it here. Jesus was praying for his own glory so that he could glorify the Father by bringing people into eternal life. You see how that fits? Let me say it again. Jesus is praying for glory from the Father so that he could glorify the Father by bringing people into relationship with him. See, if you're close to God, you'll enjoy him through Christ. And that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus longs to give the people that he loves that which he loves most, God himself. Jesus longs to give the people that he loves that which is best, God himself. And so that's what he prayed for, that the glory shared by the Father and the Son would spill over so you and I could wash in it. Friends, there's so many lines of application we could take here, but let's go down this path. What is the single greatest passion in your life? What is most exciting to you? What is it that you want the people that you love the most to enjoy and experience? What do you pray for? When When it comes time for you to die, Perhaps the night before your death, what, will spill, what desires will spill out of your heart in prayer? Friends, we should have a passion for God's glory. We should see and enjoy God's goodness in such a way that, like Jesus, it even sustains us in the face of suffering. And to see that and to understand that we need to go to the cross because otherwise, for sinners, glory is terrifying. So let's, let's turn now to God's glory displayed. God's glory displayed. Now you must remember that this prayer was prayed in the shadow of the cross. Jesus said here in this text, Father, the hour has come. He's speaking of this watershed moment in history where the plan of redemption, all of history has been waiting for this hour, and now it has come. All throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been saying, my hour has not yet come. He is intentionally withdrawn from glory that was available, waiting for the glory of the cross. In verses 2 and 3, even verses 4 and 5, Jesus references this plan, this plan of redemption, this plan to reconcile the Father to those whom have rebelled. He, he includes some of the details. We read that it was crafted before the world existed. It's a long, deliberate plan. That it was intended to glorify God before all of humanity so that we would see him and see what he is like. We read that as a part of this plan, the Father gave the Son authority to actually save people. Did you catch that? The Father gave the Son authority to snatch us from the pits of hell and give us eternal life, though we have sinned and denied the glory of God. That's taking place. And that the Father, and that Jesus would do it for those whom the Father has elected, that, that, that he has chosen. All of this would take place according to his plan. They planned it. This is the plan, or we could say the work of redemption that Jesus said in verse 4, I've accomplished it. I came and I've obeyed. And so when Jesus is praying that the Father would glorify him, he's thinking about the cross. Why? So let's go back and think. Remember what we said about the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It's the goodness of God, what? Displayed. Friends, if you want to see the clearest picture of the goodness of God, look to the cross. If you want to see how good he is, look to the cross. For it's on the cross that the perfect love and the perfect justice of God meet perfectly. The cross simultaneously shows God's holiness and his justice, and it simultaneously shows his love. It shows that he perfectly hates sin and that he perfectly loves sinners. The cross shows how radically God loves us, and that he would allow his son, the son that he delights in, to suffer and die Because I have failed to delight in him. Jesus died because you and I have loved sin more than we have loved the glory of God. That is the very essence of evil. We pursue sin because we think it has satisfying glory, but it doesn't. And instead we choose sin over God. And so God has pursued us while we were sinners. Friends, the gospel is the story of God's glory. That's what Paul says, the gospel of the glory of God. And so I invite you as clearly as I know how to hear it and to respond so you can can come. You can come and turn away from the small, perverted, deceitful, lesser glories of sin which are lying to us and worship Jesus, the all-satisfying goodness of God. He will satisfy you. Place your faith in Jesus. Turn, and you will be saved. As this text says specifically, you gain what? Eternal life. We'll come back to that in a moment, because this brings us to a last point, and it's the glory of God enjoyed. I want to direct your attention to the outcome of all this, eternal life. Hopefully you followed this Johannine logic, this this complicated uh, verses of this prayer, what we've seen so far is that Jesus prays the father would glorify the son so that the son could glorify him by accomplishing eternal life. That's the flow, right? And so if you see how that works, think, think about it carefully. Jesus was working to fix a relationship. He was working to restore the relationship between God and man. He's the link He's the way. He's the mediator. He's the road. We know this, right? It is through his work on the cross that sinful humans can once again come and enjoy a relationship with God. Without the cross, if you come into God's presence, you're consumed. So it's through Jesus that we can actually enjoy being with God. And that's how He does it. It's on the cross that sinful humans can enjoy God. And so that's how Jesus glorifies God, by making the way. It is on the cross that you and I can see and enjoy God's goodness. How do we get that? Well, notice how he describes eternal life. Look carefully at the text. Look what he says, verse uh, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Okay? So if I was going to ask you, class, what is eternal life according to verse 3, what would you say? Well, it says eternal life is knowing God. It's knowing God and knowing Jesus. It's knowing the Father and knowing Christ. And it's because Jesus is the way that we can know the Father. Do you see how he describes eternal life? It's in terms of relationship. Relationship. It's about, and that's what relationships are about, knowing and enjoying. It's about knowing and enjoying God. Friends, this is not mere everlasting life, like life that is long. It's not just that. That's like a fraction of what's going on. It's about knowing and enjoying God. It is eternal happiness seeing and enjoying the beauty and the goodness of God. That's what heaven is. That's what relationship with God is. Friends, I'm convinced that so many Christians are bored with Christianity because the only thing they're interested in is not going to hell. That that may be why some of you Consider yourself a Christian. That's the only thing appealing to you, not going to hell. Who wants to go to hell? But let me tell you, what makes heaven so glorious is not that there's streets of gold. It's not that there's no cancer or COVID. And it's not that you're not in hell. And it's not even that our loved ones are there. What's going to make heaven so glorious is that we will finally be in the presence of God with the eyes to see and enjoy the glory of God, undistracted by sin. You'll have the appetite and it will be satisfied. That is happiness. You will be for the first time fully, totally satisfied. Then, there's the everlasting part. You can enjoy that forever because you can't get to the end. That is eternal life. It's knowing and being with God insurance. Friends, this is eternal life. I hear people say, and maybe I've said this too, that one of the first things that they're going to do when they get to heaven is go and hug grandma or hug their loved one, those who have died ahead of us. And surely this is a wonderful gift, right? God has enabled relationships even among Christians eternally. And for me, I'm going to be thrilled to see and meet my daughter Eden whole for the first time. But when I arrive, she's going to have to wait because I want to see Jesus. I want to see him who has died for me, for choosing worldly pleasures over him so many times. I want to see him. I want to see him who can make my heart whole and actually satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. That is what Jesus was praying for, and that's what he accomplished. Jesus has made a way for us to see and enjoy the glory of God forever. And it's called eternal life. So do you see how this fits together? The son who knows and perfectly enjoys the goodness of God goes to the cross where he perfectly displays the goodness of God So that you and I can come into relationship with him and enjoy the goodness of God. That's how Jesus glorifies God. Friends, eternal life is about having a relationship where you can enjoy the goodness of God. But you don't have to wait to die for that to begin. It's made available to us now through the ministry of the Spirit. Jesus has made a way for us to know the Father and we can know him and actually enjoy him in rich, vibrant fellowship every day through hearing his voice and having his ear and enjoying fellowship with his people. That is the whole point of life. Not football. It's about enjoying and knowing and glorifying God. And Jesus knew this. And so he prayed that it would be true. And he prayed that it would be true for us. May God be glorified to answer this among us today. Let's close in prayer as we consider how to respond to the Lord. Oh God, we thank you for the obedience of Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is through him that we can re enter a relationship with you, once disrupted by sin, but now made available through the work of Christ. So, oh God, my request this morning is singular. Give us eyes. To enjoy your goodness. It takes a miracle, and so we look to you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand church in the